uh, open up in our Bibles this morning uh, to Isaiah 51. You know, uh, having sat under Brother Hagin for a number of years, uh, when he would teach on, uh, for example, prayer or, it, or the Holy Spirit or anything like that, you know, he would normally take a text that would launch, even though it might be several sessions, he would start out with the same text, you know, uh, and then launch into further teaching, whether it was prayer, the Holy Spirit. And he used to call it his golden text, you know. Well, I like that. Amen. I would say this is our golden text for this series. You know, we're talking about getting your hopes up, getting your hopes up. Father, I thank you so much for that which you've uh, uh, put placed and, and birthed inside my heart regarding this particular subject. I pray for divine utterance that you'll help me to communicate exactly, precisely, and accurately that which is on your heart. Let it be on our hearts and our minds today, Father. So we, we give you praise and honor and glory for answering this prayer, Father. This day, Father, we are coming up. We're coming up higher in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, in Isaiah chapter 51, we'll look at these two verses here, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. I really like this verse of Scripture. Isaiah said this by the Spirit of God. He says, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence you are hewn, or quarried, and to the hole and to the pit from whence you are digged. Then he goes on to say, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, blessed him, and increased him. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Abraham was called by God, chosen by God. And the scripture tells us right here that we are to look unto Abraham. It doesn't even say look to Moses or look to David. It says we're to look to Abraham. Amen. In fact, we know that from the New Testament, it says, if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. So, you know, the, the real true faith person started with Abraham. If you go back upstream where it all started, it's Abraham and Sarah, praise the Lord. But we are to look unto Abraham, we're to look unto Sarah, we're to find out things. In other words, we need to study their lives to see where they started, but where they ended up. Amen. So let's go to Romans chapter 4. I want to quickly reiterate a couple things here and we'll move into some really good territory today. I was telling the Lord last night, I can't wait to get here this morning because <laughs> I've, I've been getting some revelation over the last couple of days and it's just, man, it's like fireworks going off on the inside of me, I'm telling you. But in Romans chapter 4, uh, Paul, of course, is referring to Abraham. We'll look in verse 16 again. It says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all seed. Uh, to not only that which is of the law, but that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. Okay? As it is written, verse 17, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, Calleth those things that be not as though they were. Now look at verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope. I would say it like this. Who against natural hope believed in biblical godly hope. To the, that, it might be, that he might become the father of all nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. Verse 19. Talking about Abraham. It says, and being not weak in faith... Do you know the Bible talks about weak faith, strong faith, genuine faith? Amen. But it says, being not weak in faith, considered not his about a hundred years of Sarah's womb. But he staggered not, verse 20, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was written not only for his sake but for our, for our sake as well it was imputed unto him. Okay so we see this uh, marvelous reference here that Paul makes about Abraham. You know that he was uh, you know, uh, 
considered not. How did he become strong in faith? Well, first of all, he had to consider not certain things, but he had to consider other things, right? It says that he considered not. He didn't ignore it, but he said he didn't consider that as final authority. His own body, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Amen. But he was strong in faith. Notice this, giving glory to God. In other words, what's he giving glory for? What God said. God said, you're the father of a multitude. You're the father of the nations, right? Before we even had children. So we've been talking about this and that there was natural hope was all gone. There's no way from the natural that either one of them were able to have children. In fact, earlier in their lives, they didn't have any kids, let alone when they're almost 100 years old. But something happens when God intervenes in our impossibility, right? Because when God shows up in your life or my life that seems impossible, it all of a sudden becomes possible. Amen? Amen. And I'm sure that they were looking at the calendar, counting their birthdays, how many birthdays have gone by. We still haven't had any kids yet. They could have gave up really easy. But they just kept hanging on to the promise of God. Matter of fact, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, referring to Sarah, it says, Sarah you know, uh, counted God faithful and she was able to conceive. Right? Praise the Lord. She counted him faithful. So the devil endeavors to always dash people's hope by disappointing them. Now the true definition, again, of Bible hope is a positive expectation of, certain, of a certain outcome in any situation. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, but it expects it to happen. So, you know, we, we use the phrase sometimes, you know, I sure, I sure hope it's going to be a good week, right? Well, when people say it like that, it's usually like, well, it may or may not, okay? I hope it is, you know what I'm saying? But that's not Bible hope. Bible hope says, I believe good things are going to happen. Like David wrote, he says, I would have fainted. In Psalms, he says, I felt like fainting unless I would have believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Well, he felt like fainting, quitting, giving up, casting away his confidence. He said, I really would have gave up. I would have quit unless I would have believed to see. That's hope. To see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Praise the Lord. Now, what I want to talk about today and this is where we'll get into this uh, other, other teaching here uh, to build on this foundation here, is that to talk about how true, where we get true biblical hope. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. True biblical hope and faith rest on the finished work of God. True biblical hope and faith, because you have to have hope before you have faith, True biblical hope and faith rest on the finished work of God. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm just going to refer because of time this morning, but, you know, Genesis is, is the book of beginnings, right? It's where it all started. Amen? And the Bible does not teach evolution. Right? But, you know, most universities, the majority of universities today, believe in the doctrine, false doctrine of evolution. And there's even, I've heard even lately, certain preachers that are talking that how the evolution uh, doesn't go crosswise with the Bible, like they go together. We did not come from monkeys. We did not come from a rock. God created us, right? So we know in the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we see where God created everything that exists today in a six-day period. Literal six days. It wasn't, you know, a thousand years was one day and so forth. It took one day. Praise the Lord. We know in Genesis, uh, it says that, you know, uh, on day one, you know, Genesis chapter 1, it said, He created light and darkness. Amen. Day number two, he created the clouds, the sky, the atmosphere. Day number three, I'm just referring to this, he created the green grass, the flowers, and landscapers. 
<laughs> it says the green grass, the flowers, the trees. On day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Amen. Day five, he created the birds and the fish. All right? This is the order of God's creation. Now, day six, he started out and he created the animals. And the, guess what the last thing was that God created? Man. Adam. Okay? So, on day six, six represents man, the number, right? Uh, on day six, God created Adam, which all of us came out of Adam. Amen? We all came out of him. In fact, if, because we are in Adam, if we were there in his place in the same situation, we would have done, done the same exact thing that he did. We can't point the finger. We would have disobeyed God just like him because we all came out of him. Okay? Now, um, I say that to say this, that if you look, true biblical hope rests on the finished work of God. The finished work of God. Now, this could have been reversed. God could have created man on the first day, or the third day, or the fourth day. But he didn't. He created everything for the purpose of Adam, day one, two, three, four, five, and even the first part of day six, until that was all finished and all accomplished. It was finished. And then the crown of creation was Adam. So in other words, God put Adam into a garden that was finished, or we would say turnkey. You know what that phrase means? In other words, you know, everything's furnished. Everything's done. You just turn the key, you open the door, you go in, it's done. Okay? Now this is how God does certain things. This is how God completes things as he has a, a, a there's a finished work. Now we're going to correlate this to the New Testament, how there's biblical hope, how that we can have biblical, true biblical hope and faith and, uh, in this particular area here. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 10, if you would. Go to Romans chapter 10. So everything was created first before Adam. Adam was the crown of God's creation. There is nothing missing in the garden. Nothing was broken. Nothing was missing. I, and everything was complete, beautiful, fully supplied for. That was God's purpose. That was God's intention. Okay? Now, as you come over to Romans chapter 10, I want you to look at verse number 1. We're going to lay a little foundation here. It says, Now, brethren, Paul said here, My heart's desire and prayer to God is, the, is for Israel is this, that they might be saved. He came out of Israel. He was a Jew. My heart's desire, he said, is that they might be saved. Verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know anybody like that? got a zeal for God. I was talking to somebody uh, not too long ago. I was trying to reach out to them and share the gospel with them, you know. And, uh, and they said, well, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't believe there's a hell. And, and I said, well, I would hate to be wrong and find that out later. You know what I'm saying? But it says where they bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3. For they, that's the Jewish nation, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, have gone about to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law. And have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now it's very clear from the Bible that the purpose of the law was to show man that he is a sinner, that he has missed it. Galatians says that the law was the schoolmaster that led us, appointed us to Christ because all of us have broken the commandments at some point. So we're guilty, right? But the Jewish nation grabbed onto the law thinking, that's my salvation. I keep the law, but not realizing they broke the law, right? And it says, verse 3, it says, they're being ignorant of God's righteousness. They've gone about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which uh, doeth those things shall live by them. Okay? So he's comparing right here. 
the law's righteousness versus the, the right righteousness. In verse uh, 6 it says, But the righteousness which is of faith, now this is what we want to look at, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend unto heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Right? But what saith it? The word or the answer is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Notice that. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And finally verse 13, For the Scripture saith, Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Okay? Now, I want to read in the NLT just a certain portion, verses 6, starting in verse 6 here, and this is the New Living Translation. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Do not say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven? Question mark. To bring Christ down from the earth to the earth. And don't say, Who will go down into the place of the dead and bring up Christ back again from the dead? In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is in your lips and in your heart. That is the, the very message about faith which we preach. Praise the Lord. Now, in Genesis, let's compare this. In Genesis, when God created everything, when God created Adam, He made everything first. He made the trees, the flowers, the water, the atmosphere. It was absolutely perfect. Garden of Eden, perfect. Okay? And everything was prepared in advance. Okay? Now, if you come over, uh, you know, it was, uh, this is where true biblical hope and faith come from, from the finished work of God, from the finished work of Christ. Right? And so when Paul was saying this, don't say in your heart, you know, who's going to bring Christ down and, you know, who's going to raise him from the dead? So in other words, when you get saved, when you got born again, does Jesus have to come back down out of heaven, jump on the cross, die, and be raised from the dead every time a person gets saved? In other words, it's, it's complete work, isn't it? It's already prepared. Amen? Prepared in advance, just like the Garden of Eden. So the way that we tap into the finished work is to first acknowledge, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but Jesus came, was tortured, died, whipped, went to hell, raised from the dead, but he doesn't have to do that every time a person gets born again. It's been done. Amen? Now, I remember, of course, Josh being our firstborn, you know, when, when uh, he was born in 1990. But in 1989 was the year that Lynn was expecting. Amen? And so we, we rented this little house, you know, that was a Cape Cod house, you know. And we picked out a room. It was my office. Then it became his bedroom. Well, he's not been born yet. He was born in January of 1990, right? And so we took, I don't know, the whole summer, whatever, a couple of months to prepare that room, paint it, put a border on there, you know, and, uh, and prepare it, get the, uh, uh, the bassinet and the crib and all that kind of stuff. You know, you forget after so many years. And so, uh, you know, we had, that, we had that thing perfect. Now, he's not born yet. He's still in the womb, Okay. But what are we doing? We're preparing an atmosphere so that when he is born, he's not going into an unfinished bedroom. It's prepared for him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, this is what God does for us. He prepares in advance for things that we don't even see yet. And God prepared our salvation ahead of time, long before, 2,000 years before we were even in the flesh. Amen? And that's why Paul says right here, uh, you know, don't say in your heart, who's going to bring Christ down? Who's going to raise him from the dead? Don't say that. He said, what about your salvation? It's so close to you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. 
All you have to do is acknowledge Jesus is Lord. And He comes in and changes your life just like that. Okay? So true faith, true faith really begins... Let me go back here for a second. True biblical hope and faith rests on the finished work of God. Praise God. And I'm going to I'll tell you there's some scriptures here just kind of, it's kind of mind-boggling. But I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to show you something here. So true biblical hope and true biblical faith rest on the, the complete work of Christ. Amen. Jesus doesn't have to suffer anymore. He doesn't have to come back to the earth and go through what he went through, you know, 2,000 years ago. That's been done. It's been accomplished. And it was done for the purpose of the entire human race. Now you have to understand, none of us were born then. Were you? We didn't live back then. I didn't live back with the Romans back there 2,000 years ago. But it's just like the song, you know, you've heard the song, when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. Okay? And the Lord was able to look down through the millennia. He was able to look down through the centuries and see people that would believe on him, which is you and I today. And that price that he paid back then still holds value today, just as much value. Praise God. But we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, that's Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, or able, to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints of light. Who hath, say hath, hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath, or we'd say has, translated us into the kingdom of His Son, in whom we have, past tense, redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to notice right there, this is all in the past tense. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So if a person, if a Christian is looking to be delivered or to be set free, they got the tense wrong. Oh Lord, I'm just trusting you to set me free. I'm just trusting you to deliver me from the devil. Well, the fact of the matter is, we're free. Jesus set us free. Now, of course, if the devil can obscure the knowledge of the truth, which he has, you know, people don't know this, they're, they're ignorant of these things, then the enemy can take advantage of people. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus paid this price. He defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. You don't have to go defeat the devil. In fact, you're not even supposed to fight the devil. Well, you could have fooled me, Brother Keith. The only fight that we're called to fight in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Timothy, says fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? Stay in faith. Stay in the Word. Same thing. That's the only fight that we're called to fight, staying in faith. Did you ever notice that's where the battleground is in our minds is because you're tempted because of time, clock, calendar, that things seemingly are not happening, you know, and then you start looking at the natural, you know what I'm saying? And not realizing he, the devil has already been defeated. Jesus has got total victory over Satan. Now look, Colossians 2.10. Go ahead and turn there for a minute here. You're right there anyway, but just turn over a page to Colossians 2 verse 10. Notice this. And you are complete in him. Wow, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, is that true or not true? That's true. Paul wrote that, right? He's not talking about you will be complete down the future. He says right now in Christ Jesus, you are complete in Him. Well, was the garden prepared? Was it complete before Adam came? 
Yes. Was our redemption completed before we were born again? Yes. See, God did not put Adam in an earth that had no trees, no flowers. I mean, just a blank earth. Man, would that be boring, huh? No, he, he put him in a place that was already furnished. And when we came to Jesus, the work, the completed work of our redemption in Christ Jesus was already wrought. It was already completed. It was already done. Amen. So we see in Colossians chapter 1, the past tense, giving thanks to the Father, which hath, past tense, made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints of light. Who hath, verse 13, past tense. Say has. No, we'd say has, not hath. King James says hath, but it just means past tense. It didn't say he's going to, he has. Amen? You know, it's easier, to, it's easier for us. I know it is for me. It's easier for me to walk in victory when I know the devil's already been defeated. I'm not trying to defeat him. Now, I remember back in the early 90s, there was so much emphasis, and it was wrongly shared about going up and pulling down strongholds and ministers and ministries were renting airplanes and go honest to God. And there were songs written about going up to the high places to pull the devil's kingdom down. And so they thought the higher up I go, the more authority that I have. And people were, they were renting airplanes and getting people in airplanes going up and pulling down strongholds thinking they were doing the right thing. That's stupidity. Amen. Satan has been defeated. Our job is to keep and enforce his defeat through the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Instead of saying, I bind you, I take authority over you, I bind you, I take authority over you, you become more devil conscious instead of, Father, I just thank you. I have been, do it like this. I've been raised up to sit with you in heavenly places, far above principality and power. I thank you that I am victorious according to the word of God. That's true spiritual warfare. Because now you're fighting from a place of victory, not for victory. See, we fight from a place of victory. Amen. Now, um, Brother Copeland made some statements years and years ago. And at first I didn't quite understand it, but now I do. He said things like this, and now I understand. He said, you're not the sick trying to get healed. You are the healed that Satan's trying to make sick. You are not the poor trying to get wealth. You are the wealthy that Satan's trying to make poor. Okay? Because we are complete in him. We're already complete in Him. Well, that could have fooled me, Brother Keith. There's a lot of things on my left I'm looking at that need to be worked on. Well, we have to come at it from a different perspective, a different mindset. Instead of trying to get victory, try to get my healing, trying to get this, I'm already healed. Amen? So it's easier to receive healing in your body when you know, legally speaking, you are already healed. Jesus took those stripes on his back in the finished work of redemption. He paid the price for your sins. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, you know, Paul says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, not imputing their sins and trespasses against them, but hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation that tell people, hey, Jesus paid the price for your sin. All you have to do is receive it. Yeah. Amen? I remember when I was, uh, matter of fact, where Lynn and I met in the first church that we met in initially, you know, um, back, this is before internet and all that kind of stuff, and the pastor had gotten a hold of some films from T.L. Osborne, some old crusades, some old crusades from the Philippines and overseas. How many of you ever heard of T.L. Osborne? And, uh, and uh, this is years ago, you know, and he, he was able to get certain things on, on that on, on film, this big reels, you know, of, of film. And so the pastor back then would show certain times of the year, he would show films. Were you there when, that, when he did that? Or you were at Brahma? Okay. And he showed this one film. You could probably see it on the internet if you looked it up. It's called Filipino Passion. And it showed a crusade where T.L. Osborne went into, this is probably back in the 60s, I'm guessing, from what it looked like. And it would show the culture. They had somebody filming. It would show the different, the culture that was there, the religious 
mindset that was there. And a lot of the mindset, the religious mindset back then in the Philippines was you had to torture yourself for God to accept you. And they would show people that really wanted salvation and they would crawl for miles on their knees in glass and cut themselves. And some would even crucify their hands thinking they're doing God's service. They did. Wow, wow. And so, you know, the devils deceive people to think they have to suffer. They have to, you know, pay that price. Jesus already paid that price. They don't have to. Right? And, uh, but I, that made a real impression on me when I saw that. I thought, I was never been tempted to do that, you know. I'm glad that Jesus Christ suffered for me. He suffered. Boy, did he suffered more than any human being. Jesus Christ suffered more than any human being. Always. I mean, every human being on this earth, as much as suffering as there have been, nobody went through what Jesus went through. He suffered. He tasted, the Bible says in Hebrews, He tasted death for every man so we wouldn't have to. You see, you've already tasted all the death. If you're a born again Christian, you've already tasted all the death. You've done all the dying you're going to do. Because when your spirit leaves your body, instantly you've got to be with the presence of God. You don't taste death like a sinner would. Praise the Lord. He, t- he removes the sting. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He's removed that from the believer. Praise the Lord. And so it's important that we, we look at these scriptures, you know, like, like Paul said, don't say in your heart, who's going to bring Christ down from above? Who's going to raise him from the dead? No, the word, the answer is near you. How close is it? In your heart and in your mouth. Jesus, instantly salvation takes place. So in other words, would you agree with me, according to the word of God, this is a finished work? Yes. It's a finished redemption. Okay? And I, I, the Lord's been ch- talking to me about this more and more and more and I, because he wants us to start walking in greater victory, greater authority, and, and see things happen more in our lives when we realize we're not trying to get victor. We're not trying to get healed. We have it already. It belongs to us. So when you have that mindset, it's just a matter of seconds and minutes before it just catches up to your natural human body. Praise God. So that's Colossians. You know, let's go to Ephesians. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1. So we're laying this comparison out just like the garden was prepared ahead of time for Adam before he came. God is a good planner. He's preparing the way. Then he puts Adam in the garden. To a greater degree, our salvation has already been planned, bought for, paid for in advance. We just enter into it. Amen. So we know the Colossians says, He has delivered us, past tense, from the power of darkness. Amen. I'm looking at people right now, and if you're listening by way of conference call, if you're a born again child of God, you have already been delivered from the power of darkness. That's not something you have to pray about. It's just taking your place in your authority. Now in Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 6, we'll start there. To the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath, past tense, made us accepted in the Beloved. That means you're totally accepted in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption, past tense, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, Now I want you to see right there, this is all past tense right here. Okay? Now, uh, Josh, go over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 30. Let's take a look at this right here. I love this. I love this. All right, now this is already present tense. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus? 
who of God has been made unto us. Notice God was made unto us. Number one, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Next verse. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, that's the King James. Can you bring that verse up, that 31 in the NLT, Josh? There it is. That's the accurate. Therefore, the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast and boast about the Lord. Okay? Our boasting is not in ourselves. It's in what the Lord has done. The Lord hath done great things. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh. And so... This is a done deal. It's been done with. Now let's, let's go and further show you this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Doesn't the scripture say out of the mouth of two or three witnesses let every fact be established? Well, this is the third one here. That our redemption is a completed redemption. And by understanding this, this will give us a true biblical hope and a biblical faith that the foundation... Jesus has already paid the price for us. He's done everything. I believe today that understanding the past tense and what Jesus has done for us will boost our mental hope, our spiritual hope, our expectation that I'm not trying to get victory. He already won this for me. Let's just walk this out now. Praise the Lord. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Okay, here we go. Peter, of course, being an apostle, just like Paul was. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the more knowledge you have of the Word of God, your grace and your peace is going to be multiplied. Now look at verse 3. It says, According as His divine power, say hath, that's past tense, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that ye by these might be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Now another translation says He's given us already everything that pertains to this natural life and our spiritual life. I like that. He's already given it to us. Every need met spiritually, physically, financially. Every need is met in the person. What a Savior we have. You know, I I believe that the main job of a preacher should be to see Jesus in every book of the Bible. To promote Jesus. To talk about Jesus. It's all about one man. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. And the price that he paid for humanity, for me and for you. It's just, oh, the depths of his love for us, the, the price that he's paid for us. makes you fall in love with him more and more and more when you realize how good he really is. Think about that. I mean, I, I received the Lord in, you know, 1976. Someone shared the gospel with me. I was 16 years old, you know. But that's the first time that I remember hearing about God's plan of salvation a guy shared with me, right? His name was Ike. He's in heaven now. And he led me to the Lord and also a friend of mine too that was with me at the time, you know. But that was when I found out about my salvation. But it belonged to me when I was five, when I was six, when I was eight, when I was ten. But I didn't tap into it until I was 16 years old. Praise God. But I look back and I think, my God, 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price for me. Now, I had knowledge of that, 
Now I can tap into it. See, the biggest key is through knowledge. It talks about that in Peter. According to his divine power, hath, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Praise the Lord. He hath given us exceeding great and precious promises. I think we're Religion misses it so often is they put everything off for the future. Okay? You know, if, if Jesus paid the price for your physical well-being, did he? Yeah. He paid so you could be healed. Yeah. He paid a dear price for that. It's not a secondary thing. He, matter of fact, he paid for your... Those stripes were taken before he went to the cross to pay for our sins. What were the stripes for? Your healing. He did that first. Before he went to the cross and paid for your sins. And I mean his back was bloody. I mean his whole body was bloody. They beat him to the pulp. All His whole body. You know if you look at the Shroud of Turin. Which I believe is real. You know the, the documentaries about that. He was severely beaten. He Marks over his stomach, his back, his legs. They didn't just beat his back. They beat his whole, his whole body. You know. But those stripes, those stripes that were laid on his back are so that we could walk in divine health. Amen? What if pulpits preached that across the world to that degree? I think it would change a lot, wouldn't it? It would change so much. It would give people a godly hope and a godly expectation. When I see Jesus, oh, he paid that price. He did that for me. He did that for me. I don't know about you, but I find it easier to receive from the Lord when I, when I realize he paid that price for me. What's my job? Believe it. Speak it. Say it. Because you believe. What you say is what you believe. We believe, therefore we speak. It says that, doesn't it? What you believe is what you speak. Now, if you believe the wrong thing, you'll speak the wrong thing too. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We believe, therefore we speak. Spirit of faith. I believe what Jesus did for us was a perfect redemption. Praise the Lord. And that's why, you know, I judge if there's a pain in my body. I judge that. I say, you don't belong here. You are trespassing. You don't belong in my physical body. Or heart trouble, or lung problems, or liver problems, or kidney problems, or any other organ in your physical body. God loves every part of your flesh. He doesn't just love your spirit. He loves all of you. <laughs> it says we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which belong to God. Your body belongs to God. Scripture even tells us that your bodies are the temples. It didn't say your spirit is. It says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You've been bought with a price. Praise the Lord. So what are we doing? We're amplifying what Jesus did ahead of time in advance for us. So the only way the devil can take advantage of us is if we don't know that. If we think there's still things yet to be accomplished. He's already paid the price for us. Praise God. Now we know that when Jesus, I'll just refer to this in John, John chapter 19 verse 30. It's, it's the only, out of the four gospels, this is the only place where Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. It's done. It's complete. After God created Adam on the sixth day, he said, it is finished. And the seventh day was what? A day of rest. Not because God was tired, it's because he was finished. It's completed. Our redemption has been totally completed. Fulfilled. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Past tense. He hath delivered us. Thank you, Lord. I found in my own life that when I take on that mindset, that it's a done deal, it's past tense, Jesus has already done this, faith is so much easier it doesn't have to be laborsome. It's just like, okay, uh, my job is to just stay in faith and keep believing what God said. He's already paid the price for me. 
He's already taken care of everything. He's already supplied our every need. He's already seen to it. He's the all, I'll should die, the all-sufficient one. The God that sees to, that provides. That God provided a ram caught in the thicket for Abraham. He prepared a ram. And the ram's horns got caught in a thicket so that Isaac would be set free. Amen? Praise God. God sees to it in advance. You know, when Jesus needed a donkey, God already prepared someone that had a donkey that had never been ridden before. It says that. We'd say brand new, not used. <laughs> That's right, brother. When he needed something, it was there. When Peter needed tax, I love this scripture. When Peter needed tax money for him and Jesus, think about it. Jesus said, go fishing. Why? He says, first fish that you catch, pull it up, open the mouth, look in it, and there'll be money in there. Now Peter, being a fisherman, never experienced that before. Never. But Jesus said, do it. He said, okay, we'll do it. All right, we'll do it. Sure enough, <laughs> he catches a, can you imagine the anticipation, the hope? He was a previous to his call to the ministry. Peter was a fisherman. Can you imagine the anticipation, the expectation, the hope? Oh, I can't wait. Oh, there's a, there's a bite. I can feel it. When I was a kid, that was the most exciting thing. My father would take us fishing, you know, and you would feel the bite before you would see the fish. And that we had had these little bobbers. My father, we'd use bobbers, them little red and white bobbers, you know. Did you ever use those? And, uh, and he would see it go up and down. And I'm like, oh, there's something on there. When I was a kid, a little kid, I was like, this is so exciting. And then the barber would come up, go down, go down. And you would feel you would feel the tension on your line. You're like, I got one on there. I don't see it yet. I don't see it yet. But I know I can feel it. There's one on there. So I keep reeling it in. I keep reeling it in. Before you know it, I can see it moving in the water. Okay? And, uh, and then you bring it in, you reel it up, then you hold it up there. There it is right there. Okay? As a little kid, that was so exciting for me. My dad would take us fishing. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but Peter caught this fish, and there was, there, the coin was, all, was enough to pay for both of their taxes. Isn't that amazing? Oh, we serve a supernatural God. Don't we? Praise the Lord. Now I'll say this. wasn't planning on saying this. But I... <coughs> I believe God works. Now, when we talk about dreams or visions, you know, we think in terms of an open vision where your senses are suspended and, you know, you, you like, like an open vision where you see it with these natural eyes. But I think more often than not, God gives us visions, dreams, revelations by a mental picture that's placed in our heart, which we could easily roll out and say, well, that's just me. And when you pray, and when you go about walk serving the Lord, He can put a mental picture. I remember the first time this started happening when I would pray for people. And uh, there was a lady in our, in our first church many, many years ago that we pastored. And, uh, and there was a couple in our church, and this lady came up, and she had been just, the, the, the enemy had been just, boom, hitting her with all kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, and so the way the service went and so forth. I had people come up at the end that needed prayer, you know. And, um, and this lady came forward and, uh, and as soon as we started praying for her, I had a mental vision, a picture. And I saw her on a Bronco horse. And she's holding on and she's going back and forth. I mean, you know, they're trying to buck you off. You know what I'm saying? And I, I saw this in my spirit. It wasn't, I didn't see it with these eyes, but in my mind's eye, I saw this, Okay. And I'm thinking, okay. So I could have just shoved that aside and just said, 
That's just me. Too much pizza? Could be. You know what I'm saying? But I decided, you know what? I had that picture in my mind, so I'm going to minister that to her. And I shared that with her. And I said, uh, the Lord's putting a fight on the inside of you. You're not going to let go. You're going to hang on to God, even though you've been trying to get bucked off here and there to get you off the Word of God. And it really ministered to her. And she hung on. She kept hanging on to the Word of God. And I just released that. Okay? And so we can't throw that aside when God speaks through pictures. How many know what I'm talking about? A mental image, a picture. Many times I'll be ministering like I am right now, and I'll, all of a sudden, right in the middle of the sermon, I'll get a mental picture of something. Okay? Well, we can't discount that, because just because Jesus didn't walk through those two double doors right there, and we, everybody saw Him, that can happen. That's an open vision, right? But more often than not, God speaks in dreams, visions, concepts, ideas, a thought, a picture in your mind, and it's there to encourage you. It's there to encourage you. Amen? Amen. And I was, pr- I was praying about something, you know, not too long ago, you know. And uh, it, was, it was about a particular need, you know. And I saw in, in my spirit, I saw a big rubber stamp and it went boom and it said paid in full. Well, I was praying about something, okay. And I thought, that's the word, paid in full. God quickeneth the dead, calleth those things which be not as though they were. Amen? And God speaks. That's the way He deals with us. He speaks to us. He puts a vision, a dream, a, a, an impression, a picture in our minds. I just felt led to share that right now. Maybe it's meant to encourage you because maybe you've been having certain thoughts or images or things of that nature. you know. And God wants to encourage you. He's speaking to you. He's trying to encourage you. Okay? Now let's close over here this morning because we're out of time here. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Everybody say the finished work. Okay. This is how supernatural hope and faith is developed when we approach God on the basis of the work being finished. The work of redemption has already been completed. It's already been finished. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, when you came... Now I remember sins that I committed prior to my salvation. I'm not going to talk about them, but I still remember certain things that I did before I was saved because that was my nature. I didn't know that. My nature was sin because I wasn't born again. But after I came to Christ in 1976, I realized all that stuff, even though I still remember it up here, it's completely gone. It's been dealt with. It's been washed away. The blood of Jesus took that away. Okay? Even though I can still recall certain things. You know what I'm talking about? You, you recall certain things. But you know that you know that you know Jesus forgave you of that. He cleansed you from that. He washed you from that. But if the enemy can put uh, those thoughts, even after you were saved, for example, Here's where the enemy tries to get people. Even after you're saved and you made a mistake, you did the wrong thing, you made a bad choice, right? And the enemy will try to hold you responsible, make you feel guilty for that. Still, you are washed in the blood. If you said, Lord, forgive me of that. You know, he cleansed you, he washed you. And in his mind, that doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. This is my opinion, but I think the scripture bears it out. But I think that the worst thing that a believer can succumb to is a spirit of condemnation. Condemnation. Sometimes even ministers preach with a spirit of condemnation, making people feel guilty, making people feel bad. Okay, that doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. Now you think about this for a minute. Do you remember in the Gospel of John, there is a woman caught in the very act of adultery? I'll just refer to that. How many agree that that's in the Bible? 
And guess who brought the woman to Jesus? The Pharisees. Let me ask you a question. What on God's green earth were they doing looking in someone's window? <laughs> Caught her in the very act. Now here's the second question I had. Where's the guy? You can't commit adultery by yourself. It takes two. Are you with me? They had a, th a thought out plan to trap Jesus. Okay? They did. Now, if anybody could have condemned her, it would have been Jesus because he kept the whole law. If anybody had a right to pick stones up and throw it at her, it was Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus stooped down, wrote in the ground. I don't know exactly what happened there, but, you know, he was, I believe he was listening to the Lord. Because the law of Moses, they said the law of Moses says if a woman or a person's caught in the very act, they should be stoned. What do you have to say about this? They're trying to trap them. Okay? And then the Lord spoke to them. The Spirit of God spoke to them and said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They had the rocks in their hands already. They were ready, I'm, they're ready to sling those stones. But it says that they left from the oldest to the youngest. Thump, 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 thump. And the only person left standing there was the woman and Jesus. And Jesus said to the woman, can you imagine how thankful she was? He said, uh, Where, where's your accusers? And the Lord said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did God give her? He gave her the gift of no condemnation. Could he have condemned her? Oh, yeah. He could have been the first person to pick that stone up because he was the only one that didn't have any sin. <laughs> he said to the rest of the Pharisees, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They were probably guilty of the same thing that that woman was involved with. Had that little woman on the side. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. You know, the wife's out of town doing business. We can play around a little bit here. You know what I'm saying? That's how, they, that's how they thought. They were all religious, gross. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus gave her the gift of no condemnation. And then he says, now go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, first of all, go and sin no more. He said, I don't condemn you. Now go. So in other words, he gave her the freedom of no condemnation to go and sin no more. And I believe she did that. I believe that she walked that out. Oh, praise the Lord. Because if we have a sense of guilt, condemnation, we're never able to rise up. We're always feeling like, I can't pray. I just did this wrong. I said this wrong. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Condemnation. It's meant to push down, push down. Now, I've, I'm not calling any names, but, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of preachers through the years, a lot of preachers. There are some that minister out of a spirit of condemnation. And a lot of them have very big congregations, very big congregations, but the people are beat down. They're not free. They're not happy. Amen? Matter of fact, how do you know the difference? Because a minister that can't smile and has no joy usually ministers condemnation. Amen? Because I've asked the question sometimes, we need to ask questions, it's like, how is it that that minister, I never see them smile, I never see them happy, they're always serious, that's not the way Jesus is or was. Amen? He's not, attacked, he's not like a Pharaoh, get his whip out, crack everybody. No, no. Amen? Jesus has faith in us. He has faith in you. He has faith in us. Of course.
course, we know our shortcomings better than anybody else. We do. Because we all have them in the, in the flesh, in the natural. But the Lord's not condemning you. He's not holding it over you. Condemnation. He's there to help you. The scripture even says, who is he that condemneth? It's not God. If he condemned us, we'd be lost forever. But if I'm coming from a mindset of, you know, I easily could do this. But if I came from the mindset, you know, uh, you know, for example, many, many years ago, way back in the early part of our getting into ministry, you know, we had heard certain teaching about correcting people. And that you really don't love them unless you correct them and stuff. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. You know what I mean? There's a certain amount of truth to that. And so I thought, that's not our nature, but I want to please the Lord. And so we found ourselves, this is when we're in our 20s, okay? That's a long time ago. I'm 63 now, so (laughs) give me a break. (laughs) But I, 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 we, we, because we had heard from different ministries, you know, just kind of sharing my heart that, you know, you, you got to, pastors, you got to correct your people. You got to pull them aside and correct them, you know. And let me tell you something. We had things backfire like you wouldn't believe. Oh, my goodness. We had some pretty good people that were with us at the time, and they were, you know, they were making some mistakes in some areas. You know, I thought, it's my job to correct them. Oh. That was stupid. It's really stupid. Oh, my goodness. And we both had this, you know, this is our elders, you know, we're listening to them, you know, like, you know, but here's the thing. What about being led by the Holy Spirit? Giving the Lord time to move on people. Let the Holy Spirit deal with people. Now, that, now if you, when I minister, there's always, in any given sermon, there are certain corrections and adjustments and stuff. But there's a whole difference between coming across as a spirit of condemnation. You know what I'm saying? But I thought it was my duty to pull people aside and correct them. It was so uncomfortable. Because I was not being led by the Holy Spirit. And every single one of those things backfired on us. Oh, yeah, every single one of them. But I thought I was doing the right thing. Okay? God has mercy on us in our youthfulness. God has mercy on us when we're young and stupid. Okay? Was the call of God in my life back then? Of course it was. But I needed to learn some things. I needed to, you know what I'm trying to say? Praise God. For whatever it's worth. But in in, in Hebrews chapter 4, we'll close here. Verse 2. It's better that the Lord deals with the person instead of trying to be Holy Spirit Junior and try to convict people. All that does is put pressure. Undue pressure on people, you know. Then condemnation. But if the Lord, He's talking to us, He'll put the desire in us to make that change. He will. There's been times I've had to make adjustments in my life, and I still do. Okay? I'm, I'm going to be pliable before the Lord. And if there's things I can change, the Lord doesn't come at me in a, in a way that he brings the hammer down. Okay? We used to have a friend of ours years ago, and, and it, was a, it was a woman minister, great person, great woman of God, but, but she would minister with such condemnation, you'd feel like helpless. After you were corrected, you felt like the dust on the ground. <laughs> I'm serious. You know what I mean? But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached them did not profit them, not being, excuse me, mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed, <coughs> excuse me, do enter into rest. As he has said, I've sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although, notice this, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Oh, the works. Redemption was finished from the foundation of the world. Jumped on to verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Praise God. 
He finished the works from the foundation of the world. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Did you enjoy this today? The scripture is so powerful. Thank you, Lord, for our redemption. Thank you for the price. The wonderful price that Jesus paid for us. To forgive us our sins. To free us up from guilt and condemnation. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you said, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We thank you for true freedom. That we're free to serve you. We're free to love you. We're not even afraid of making a mistake. Because you're there to uphold us. You're there to keep us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just thank him. Praise thank God. Thank you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're reminded in Romans chapter 2 that it's, it's the kindness, the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance, that makes us want to change, to do a 180, to make true change. It's your goodness that does that, Father. Not your wrath, but it's your goodness. Let us, help us to focus on your goodness towards us. Your love towards us. That's what makes us true change take place in our hearts, Father. We thank you so much. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Well, I just uh, released everything that I had in my spirit this morning. Amen. I don't have anything left right now. That's all that I had inside my spirit. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we have a completed redemption. It's already been completed. Now let's just walk it out. Let's receive.